Welcome into the fan section podcast. This is another fan section short. I am uh, <clears throat> one of your hosts, Tyson Quiller. Alan and I still continuing to pump out additional content. We will be getting together this week to do both our um, big picture recap as well as our preview of the week 10 games to come. Uh, but you know us, we're just a couple buddies talking to college, dropping knowledge from the bleachers to the suites. Uh, row uh, section 100 to 300 um, and we're here just bringing you our our insight our input on the storylines that we think maybe won't get uh, the the right uh, coverage or or maybe the storylines coming out of certain games uh, seem skewed or seem superficial and we're going to bring you uh, our thoughts as it relates to those games and those items this fan section short uh, is just going to be me, and I just wanted to take a little bit of time to uh, focus more. We'll talk briefly uh, in kind of broad strokes in the recap about the uh, the big Michigan rivalry, but I wanted to dive in just a little bit deeper because it was such a big game. Uh, this was the 114th running of the Michigan rivalry, known as the Paul Bunyan game. The last time both of these teams were ranked in the top 10 when they faced was in 1964. So you had number six Michigan traveling to East Lansing to play number eight Michigan State. And, man, I just think college football is so good when you have <clears throat> rivalries that are prominent like this, when Alabama and Auburn are both really good, when Michigan and Michigan State are both really good, or Michigan and Ohio State, when USC and Notre Dame are both really, really good. These are uh, fun, uh, exciting times in college football, and, and this game certainly did not let us down at all and you know on this show we monitor trends trends general obviously there's outliers but trends generally dictate how performances will take place and in this rivalry specifically the team that has won the rushing battle has won 45 of the last 50 matchups and if that's what the information you used for your betting line that would continue and you made yourself some money michigan had 34 rushes for 4.3 yards per carry Total 146 yards. Michigan State ended up 36 rushes, 5.5 yards per carry, 199 yards, and got the win. Uh, basically, what happened in this game, uh, as I saw it, Michigan's, Michigan's offense came out strong. Meanwhile, Sparty struggled early. Peyton Thorne had two early interceptions, both of them in the first three drives of the game. Michigan's D-line was just smothering early. The combination of David Ajabo and Aiden Hutchinson, one on either side of the D-line, they just dominated Peyton Thorne. Uh, there was a moment in the first half where Ajabo had a strip sack of Peyton Thorne, and Aiden Hutchinson picked it up and took it back for a touchdown. Ended up being overturned on replay. I'm not entirely sure that that was the right call, but that ended up being a massive shift in this game. Uh, ultimately, though, Michigan's trend of settling for field goals in the first half continued, and they just they let Michigan State hang around. Something we definitely learned from this game and probably have known for several weeks, Cade McNamara just cannot pass the ball effectively in the red zone. They move the ball brilliantly between the 20s, and then when they get in the red zone, he is just not efficient, not effective, and can't, um, can't do it. Uh, J.J. McCarthy had a first half red zone pass that, that was a pretty risky pass, but um, Andrell Anthony made a great play on the ball. Uh, but outside of that, Cade McNamara did basically nothing in the game in the red zone. Also, 
Late in the first half, Michigan State identified a weakness in Michigan's defense with their hurry-up offense component. Uh, that was kind of late in the second quarter. Uh, Michigan was up 23-14 at halftime, uh, but Michigan State kept the hurry-up rolling back with back-to-back touchdowns to start the third quarter. That drew the game uh, even at 30-30. A heavy dose of running the ball with Kenneth Walker led to two early second-half touchdowns. Meanwhile, the rotation of J.J. McCarthy and Cade McNamara just flat-out blew up in Jim Harbaugh's face. There didn't seem to be much consistency in the second half from the, the, uh, the commander of the team, the quarterback. Uh, they gained more than 200 yards in the second half, but a fumble, two turnovers on downs, and an interception, you only put up 10 points on the board, it, it just wasn't enough. You, you let Michigan State hang around in the first half when you could have put the game away, settling for field goals instead of touchdowns, and then in the second half, you gain all these yards, but you just can't convert when you get down into the scoring zone. Uh, ultimately, Michigan State won the game 37-33, and Michigan State is now officially back in the playoff mix, or maybe for the first time this season, officially in the playoff mix. Now, they finished the season in a couple of weeks uh, with Ohio State on November 20th and Penn State on November 27th, so they're going to they're gonna have a chance to prove whether they belong in the playoff or not. Kenneth Walker has thrown, officially thrown himself back into the Heisman race. This was a week after it appeared that non-quarterbacks had kind of fallen by the wayside. Kenneth Walker coming off of an 84-yard performance uh, against Indiana and then a bye week. Uh, Walker, um, so in this game, Michigan, Michigan State had only given up three rushing touchdowns all season coming into this game. And Walker, by himself, had five in this game. That's the first time a, a running back has had five or more touchdowns against a top-10 team since... You guessed it, 2001, Chris Brown, six touchdowns as Colorado beat down number one Nebraska 62-36 at Folsom Field. Walker had the, has currently the second most rushing yards in the country and the third most rushing touchdowns in the country. I think he's a real contender now, again, for the Heisman. Something to keep in mind, though, only two running backs have won the Heisman in the last 15 seasons. I do believe it's a little watered downfield this year, and, uh, you know, uh, Kenneth Walker is going to have opportunities, like I said, with that Ohio State game, the Penn State game. He'll have opportunities to have his Heisman moments. On the flip side of this storyline, Jim Harbaugh's record now against Michigan State is at 3-4. and four, And he is 0-2 against Mel Tucker. That has got to have Michigan fans hurting. The Wolverines under his charge now are 2-13 and 13 against top 10 teams. There are six, count them, six coaches in the Big Ten with a better record at their school against a top 10 opponent than Harbaugh. And their names are Ryan Day, James Franklin, Paul Christ, Kirk Ferentz, P.J. Fleck at Minnesota, and the aforementioned Mel Tucker at Michigan State. I know it sounds crazy, but... I think Harbaugh is definitely back in the conversation and being on the hot seat. After Indiana next week, they finish at Penn State uh, at a much-improved Maryland team and against Ohio State at home. If he loses those three games, those last three, and Michigan finishes 8-4, and four, I think he's gone. I mean, I, I don't think there's a question about that. If they beat Maryland, lose to Penn State and Ohio State, finish 9-3, and three, he might be gone as well. Harbaugh is, in his seventh season... And he has a record of 56-23. and 23. That's an average of 9-4 and four each season. I think there's a comparison to be aware of. 
Nebraska fired Bo Pelini in 2014 with basically the same average record, 9-4 and four each year. They have had an average record of 5-7 and seven since then. And they've gone through two coaches now and potentially are about to fire uh, their, their current coach. So that'll be something interesting to keep in mind. Just a fantastic, phenomenal, really fun game. A lot of uh, back and forth, a lot of, uh, especially in the second half, uh, just blows and counter blows from these teams. I think they're both very good teams. I think these could very, very much be the second and third best teams in the Big Ten. Uh, maybe Michigan State is better than Ohio State. We will see. I, I've been talking for several weeks now about how they just they've won so many games so close. I think this is now maybe their fifth win this year by less than a touchdown, and that's including an overtime win over a bad Nebraska team by only three. Um, so, but you know, there's something to be said for a team that just finds a way to win those close games. So, you know, we'll find out when Michigan state plays Ohio state later in the season. Speaking of the coaching carousel, uh, news is out, uh, as of Sunday, Gary Patterson is officially out as the head coach of the TCU horned frogs after a 21 year stint as head coach in Fort Worth. Gary Patterson, uh, you know, we talked about Texas Tech last week and their firing of Matt Wells uh, and how they were going to be competing in the market against the likes of USC and LSU and how, you know, how, what likelihood did they think they would have of pulling a, a good coach? I mean, you're looking at maybe the third or the fourth best coach on the market. Well, now there's an even better position available in their own state in Fort Worth at TCU. Uh, this news comes after TCU had a really poor performance on offense and lost to uh, kind of a middle-of-the-road, maybe a little bit better than middle-of-the-road Kansas State team on the road, 12-31. to This is now the fifth FBS head coach fired this season, uh, the most in any season before November in the last decade. So, you know, a lot of these programs stood by their coaches last year through covid the standard has changed now. If you're not cutting, uh, if you're not cutting it, we're going to cut you. According to Yahoo Sports, quote in a statement, TCU athletic director Jeremiah Donati uh, said he and Chancellor Victor Broschini asked Patterson to continue for the remainder of the season, but Patterson declined, uh, saying it was probably what, what's best for the team and the university that he step aside at this point. Patterson uh, is, you know, this is really sad. He is a a real uh, hallmark paramount figure, obviously 21 seasons head coach at TCU. Uh, Patterson's been the head coach at TCU since 2000. He helped guide the program's transition from Conference USA when he took over to the Mountain West and then into the Big 12. Along the way, TCU won one uh, Conference USA title, four Mountain West Conference titles, and a share of a Big 12 title. He also led the Horned Frogs to 17 bowl games, six top 10 finishes, and 11 seasons with double-digit victories. I mean, this is, a, this is a storied head coach, and he's just synonymous with the program. But since his last double-digit victory season in 2017, when they went 11-3, they've gone 7-6, 5-7 seven in 2019. Last year, a, a small improvement, 6-4 and four in the COVID season. But this year, 2021, they're off to a 3 and five start only two wins against division one opponents sounds eerily similar to uh, colorado 
who has, or even better than Colorado, who has one win against the Division One opponent. Jerry Kill, the former head coach at Minnesota and longtime friend of uh, Gary Patterson's, has been named the interim head coach. Um, and, you know, Patterson is going to be, quote-unquote, assisting somehow with the transition to take place. You know, they're trying to make it seem like it's, you know, a mutual decision, and, and maybe so. Um, but but Patterson is out at TCU, and that coaching job is on the market. Jerry Kill was a fantastic coach at Minnesota for many years. They had some up-and-down seasons. Um, I, I don't know if you recall, but he had some health issues that caused him to step aside. I believe it was seizures on the sideline and things like that that made it a little more scary. So I'm not sure if he's a real candidate. He's also uh, older, like uh, Gary Patterson, so I'm not I'm not sure he's a real candidate to take the position on full-time. Some of the early names being entertained as Patterson's replacement are uh, out of Coastal Carolina, Jamie Chadwell, the head coach. The Chanticleers are 18-2 and two in the last two seasons, currently ranked number 21 in the country. My only question about this one is that there doesn't seem to be any discernible Texas ties for Jamie Chadwell. I think he seems pretty linked with that Coastal Carolina program. And, I mean, if you can be ranked, uh, you know, and, and you have some teams in your conference that will help get you good wins, like Appalachian State and Louisiana Lafayette, or Louisiana, the artist formerly known as Louisiana Lafayette, um, you know, he may stay. The next name listed, though, is uh, Sonny Dykes, the head coach at SMU. They are 14-4 and four in the last two seasons, currently ranked number 23 in the country. Uh, and Jeff Trailer, the head coach at the University of Texas San Antonio, 15-5 and five in the last two seasons, currently ranked number 16 in the country. Uh, I could definitely see Jeff Trailer wanting to make the move. Sonny Dykes is a little more established. Uh, you know, he coached prior at Louisiana Tech. He's got more consistency uh, on his resume. Also, something to keep in mind, uh, by the way, the University of Texas San Antonio, <laughs> this year undefeated, only one of six remaining unbeaten teams in the country right now. So Jeff Trailer, I think you guys all know I've been very high on Texas San Antonio this year. They continue to impress. Uh, but something to keep in mind, the, the teams that are joining, already uh, offers have been accepted um, and requests have been accepted. The Big 12 will be accepting Houston, UCF, BYU, and Cincinnati to join their conference in replacement of Oklahoma and Texas. So of note, you might notice Coastal Carolina, SMU, and Texas San Antonio are not in that group joining the Big 12. This would definitely be a program step up for any of those three so we'll we'll sort of see how that plays out i uh, i like all of the names being entertained i do think tcu will get uh the guy that they're looking for before texas tech does so uh and and you know matt wells is on the market and he's a good coach so you know maybe if one of these guys uh say jeff trailer from texas san antonio goes to tcu maybe you see matt wells get the texas san antonio job um, it, it kind of works like a carousel like that sometimes. So that'll be interesting to see. Most of the names I've seen tossed around as far as um, replacing Matt Wells at the Texas Tech program have been coordinators, uh, Baylor's offensive coordinator, uh, you know, some, some other coordinators uh, from within the Big 12 footprint and the American Conference footprint. And that right there tells you that their expectations are lower than that of TCU, uh, where they have actual head coaches at 
you know, granted mid-major programs, but they are performing exceedingly well and they're interested. I want to finish up this uh, fan section shorts with a couple of notes on the Colorado loss at Oregon this past weekend. Uh, you know, just first and foremost, Colorado as a team played their absolute worst first quarter of the season as a team, comprehensively, on both sides of the ball. The offense, back-to-back punts, and only 18 total yards in the first half. And you pair that with an anemic defensive performance where Colorado didn't stop Oregon a single time. Colorado was down 21-0 to just two minutes into the second quarter. That is just a devastating mountain to overcome. Uh, there was a, in, in this time, too, there was a, just a flat-out disappointing lack of discipline on both sides of the ball. Early five penalties in the first quarter. Um, you know, just a, a really atrocious start by all uh, units and all parties involved. Now, with that being said, Colorado's offense from that point pretty much forward played well, much, much improved. Starting in the second quarter, um, I do need to give offensive coordinator Darren Cheverini some props for the first time this season. Just keep that in mind. Props, yes, but for the first time this season. We finally saw some fundamental adjustments in the play calling. We started seeing some quick swing passes, some bubble screens, and end rounds getting the ball out of Brendan Lewis's hands quickly and getting the ball in our athletes' hands out in space. With you know, the play calling clearly, you need to get these players outside of the hash marks in space with a chance to make some plays. And that's what they did uh, after the first quarter. This has never been in question. Alex Fontenot almost rushed for 2,000 yards two years ago. Jarek Broussard was the Pac-12 Offensive Player of the Year last year. We have seen the talent from Dimitri Stanley and now Brendan Rice. Just get them the ball. Like, this has been my mantra for the entire season. I did also see, finally, some sets with both Broussard and Fontenot in the backfield. And that is a promising look. You know, it gives Lewis a couple of options, but he, he doesn't have too much to diagnose. And you have two athletes back there who can make great plays. Uh, I was so relieved to finally see some life in the offense. Consistency builds confidence, especially in, in a young quarterback. I saw Brendan Lewis throw a pass early in the second quarter that I thought he would never throw. Okay, his thing has been timid. He's so petrified of throwing an interception. He will never take a chance. That has been a big part of why we've struggled on offense. Um... And, or, you know, on this play, Oregon was in man coverage, and Brendan Rice was blanketed uh, by his man. But Lewis lobbed up a pass, took a chance, uh, finally took a chance to trust the athlete to make a play. And Rice just did that. He went up, he took the ball away. I believe it was like maybe a 33-yard completion. Um, ultimately, Lewis and Rice connected in the game four times for passes beyond 20 yards. It was truly a revelation to see I'm very, very encouraged by seeing that confidence. Now, we did see some of that confidence in the second half of the Cal game, or in the second half of the Arizona uh, Arizona game, and then it pretty much disappeared against Cal. You have to carry that over now to the next game. And you have Oregon State next. That's not a tremendous defense. You'll have some chances. Come into the game with confidence. You have playmakers. Let's go. Uh, One last note on the offense. Colorado scored zero points in the first and third quarter and had a grand total of 38 yards and four punts. 
they cannot be taking so long to get the engine running at the start of each half. You, you know, you should come in with a game plan. The first drive of the game should be diagnosed. It shouldn't take much adjustment, much, you know what I'm saying? Like, that should be one of your more successful drives. And then coming out of half, you just made adjustments to what you've seen on the field from their defense. Your first drive out of the second half should be one of your more successful drives. You know, this is um, this is now the second game in a row that we've seen this troubling trend. So, in short, props to Brendan Lewis, for sure, on a much more consistent performance. Props to Jaren, Darren Cheverini, the offensive coordinator, for finally making adjustments to put his offense in a position to succeed. And the biggest props, in my opinion, to Brendan Rice, who had... 17 yards rushing, 102 yards receiving, and a touchdown, and 162 kick return yards. This kid is a stud, and he's just a freshman. This is another reason why I've been harping on the offense so much, is, listen, you have young talent. If you don't show them you're going to give them a chance, these players may transfer, and then your, your program becomes completely hollowed out. So, like, let's go. Let's continue with this consistency. Props to these guys, props to the offense, 29 points. It was a solid performance. When your offense gives you 29 points, you should have a chance to win that game. And unfortunately, you just flat out did not have a chance. Um, now, you know, now, you all know that I've been very high on Colorado's defense this season. And I should note, before I get into this, that Colorado's all-everything, all-American linebacker, Nate Lamon, did not play in the game. However, on a day when the offense finally got clicking, like I said, scored 29 points, the defense gives up a 50-burger, 52 points. Just terrible. From the very beginning of the game, the defensive line got completely manhandled and bullied. Terrence Lang and Mustafa Johnson, who are both good players, looked like just JV players getting shoved back three yards at the snap of the ball every play. Oregon's quarterback, Anthony Brown, was never under pressure, as for, for the first time all season, Colorado's defense got zero sacks and only one tackle for loss in the entire game. Okay, now part of this, obviously, um, was because of Oregon's strategy. Now, the, the, the Oregon offensive line dominating our defensive line, that's not strategy, that's just pure execution, and our defensive line just got owned. But Oregon began by spreading out the defense with quick outs, swing plays, kind of similar to what Colorado's offense was doing. Uh, this caused the Buffs to counter by moving to a two-high safety look and some nickel packages, which spreads the defense out, to which Oregon responded by changing to more zone reads and inside plays. Robert Barnes replaced Landman at middle linebacker, the transfer, and uh, was just in way over his head. It's, there's the, the differentiation between... How quickly Landman, I think this is his strongest talent and will make him successful in the NFL, is not that Landman's the strongest, the fastest, whatever. He's certainly a physical specimen, but he diagnoses plays so quickly that he fills the gap before the running back gets there. He can see where the quarterback's looking and float his coverage that direction uh, you know, to create pass deflections or close off potential passing routes. Uh, Robert Barnes just doesn't, he, he's not at that level. Um and so he just seemed like he was in way over his head. Basically, every run up the middle made it to the second level, and our linebackers were often out of place, reading the wrong gap or rotating in coverage away from the play. Uh, ultimately, Oregon ran for 256 yards and four touchdowns against the Buffs and passed for 312 yards and another three touchdowns through the air. Just anemic, terrible defense. This was a really 
really bad look for defensive coordinator Chris Wilson, whose unit looked off balance and confused all day. Oregon's offensive coordinator, or Oregon's offensive coordinator Joe Moorhead, just flat out coached Chris Wilson in this game, and there's no excuse for it. There's just no excuse for it. They they may deflect and say, well, Lamin didn't play. Lamin is not the difference between a 50 burger. I mean, are you kidding me? 50 points. I mean, that's that's a really really bad defense. Uh, I noticed something that I'm not sure how substantive it is. But ever since Mustafa Johnson got cleared to rejoin the team against USC, uh, they played four games before he joined the team, and now they've played four games after. The Buffs are averaging, giving up 203 yards per game since he returned, uh, and they were only giving up 140 rush yards per game before his return. I'm not sure how that manifests itself, whether he's not playing team ball, if he's pressing, trying to put, put some plays on tape, um, you know, he, he had to get this clearance to come back and play because he put his name in for the NFL and did not get uh, any offers. So maybe he, I, I don't know exactly how that manifests itself, but I think that that is an important data point to be aware of. Uh, and then in, in addition, a very troubling trend continued as well. Uh, like I mentioned, um, that the offense in the last two games hasn't scored a single point in the first or third quarter. Well, the trend on the defense, in my opinion, is even more troubling. They have not stopped a single drive in the first or third quarter in the last two games. And, like, you could say, well, hey, Oregon, they're really good. Cal is not. Cal is not. And you did that against Cal. Okay? This is just flat-out demoralizing to a team that is finally getting some production out of their offense. But to start the game with a mountain to climb being down 21-0, it's just flat-out unacceptable out of the defense. The... Buffalo defense, ultimately on the game, only stopped Oregon's offense on one series. And that was an interception. It's not like they, they held them to a punt. It was like a, you know, just a, a fluke play. You know, so, man, Colorado gets, uh, and that was in the fourth quarter, by the way. Okay. Colorado gets Oregon State at home next week, like I mentioned. They are running, uh, Oregon State is a running juggernaut this season. Okay, or Colorado has to find a way to make the Beavers pass the ball and let Makai Blackman and Christian Gonzalez and the like make some plays in the secondary early. Keep in mind that quarterback Chance Nolan is mobile. Mobile, this quarterback from Oregon State. So don't get caught running away from him in man coverage like we did against Chase Garbers at Cal two weeks ago, or he'll gash us. And he'll, he'll have those long runs like Chase Garber did, the Cal quarterback. Nate Lamon is listed as probable for this weekend's game with shoulder soft tissue softness, weakness, or soreness, I mean. Uh, Oregon State is favored by 10.5 in Folsom this weekend. If you have any questions about where the program stands, Oregon State is favored by 10.5 in Boulder this weekend, okay? Just so disappointed. The offense really made some strides, made some changes, and, and, and you just can't be on the same page. The defense final the defense has a massive letdown on the same weekend that the offense in my opinion did enough to give you a chance to win. You know, so hopefully they can get things together. This may very well be their last chance at a win this season. Uh, they do get Washington in a couple of weeks back in Boulder. That will be a kind of a similar matchup probably uh around 10 points um 10 point dog. So 
continuing to enjoy a wonderful college football season, as I hope you guys are. And uh, again, thanks for listening, and we will catch you on the next episode of the Fan Section Podcast. <laughs>